I'm Chesney in Aarhus, Denmark. And I'm Weldon in Colombo, Sri Lanka. And you're listening to American on the Outside. Weldon, this is what, our third attempt to record a summer recap episode? <laughs> I'm afraid so. Uh, we've we've hit a couple of technical and, lo- and logistical problems. My microphones are uh, in a box on a ship somewhere. <laughs> so, right, because you now are in? In Sri Lanka. Uh, Serendib, as it was known to the ancients. Oh. Uh, that's where serendipity comes from, because... Sailors would aim for India, miss, and hit Sri Lanka and trade. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we've been here since uh, August, and it's now October, so that's how long it's been trying to record this episode. Right. It's it's fall, and June seems like like a year ago. But it was not quite uh, three months ago, I think. Right. (laughs) So I've, I've typed in. Just a few of the things that we've tried to convey over the past two attempts. I thought I would just do a really quick recap, uh, plus a few things that have happened in the interim. So are you ready? Go for it. All right. We both took a trip back to the U.S. For me, it was the first trip back since 2018. And for you? Since 2019, when we moved to France. And then COVID happened and... Uh, Nobody went anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, in fact, my wife and I both got COVID in Starkville, Mississippi. That's right. But we did see each other. We did. It was the first time we've seen each other in well over a decade. A so, long time. Yeah, Too it's long. been it's been a while. It, indeed. We got caught up in the summer travel madness. And as you said, you got COVID. It was super fun to watch my kids do the things that we used to do as kids and just be American in America, doing American stuff. That is basically uh, on the personal level. On you, really quick, mm-hmm. what was what was your summer like? Uh, it was great. We we were moving, like I said, from France to Sri Lanka, but we took some time in the U.S. I got to go to a baseball game, which is something I try to do whenever I'm there. I saw the Orioles lose very badly. And we went to see my family, which is kind of scattered uh, between Mississippi and New Hampshire, and then some of my wife's friends in California. And it was a really good time. And then we moved to a country that is collapsing. So, yeah, our American tour took us to New Jersey, North Carolina, Mississippi, Tennessee, back to Mississippi. And then back to New York, New Jersey area. So, oh wow, yeah, it was it was a lot to squeeze into four weeks. Uh, so we did this in the process. I think a lot of uh, other Americans on the outside may may feel this of trying to get permission for our dog to go to the country we were moving to, uh, which ended up it was we, there was a test we had to get. And we had to get it five days before we flew, but the test takes eight days to come back. <laughs> so there was some juggling and some frantic calls uh, in French and Sinhalese. And the 
civil servants don't speak the same language. So it, that was a little difficult, but we eventually, uh, it sort of ate two weeks and more money than I want to think about, but we did get our dog safely Aww. landed here. Oh, well, that's, that's, did he come, did he come with you guys on the, on the flight or did he have to come separately? This was his first time under, uh, in the cargo hold. Previously, oh. he's been small enough that we could just take him as, as baggage mm -hmm. and, and put him under the seat. And that's much easier, but airlines are not, not allowing that as much as they used to. Uh, and in fact, one, it's hard to get to Sri Lanka. There's only so many airlines that do it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Gulf airlines do, but the problem is uh, Qatar and Etihad only allow falcons in cabin. That's the only in-cabin pet you can have. Wait, like the bird? The bird, uh, because the, you know, the falconry is a big sport in the Gulf. Sure. And so people will take their falcons, I suppose, I hope in a hood. Uh, but <laughs> a falcon, of course, and a small dog are a bad, bad thing Combination. to have. So, right. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Well, they're, they are, it's like meant to hunt the small animals. So. Right. <laughs> So, wow, I did not know that you could bring your falcon with the talons right. onto an and, airplane. And the beak. <laughs> and the beak. I am imagining all kinds of fly medieval air right. uh, ads now, uh, even though these are some of the most luxurious. I know the, the Gulf Airlines are very well modernized. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, D Dubai has showers in first class, which is... Of course, it's it, it's seventeen million dollars to do that, but sure. Like my my kids will watch the YouTube videos about the people who travel and travel first class, and so I am very well aware of how very nice <laughs> the, the the Gulf Airlines are. I just didn't know that they allowed falcons on on their plane. So okay. Uh, as far as the world goes, uh, we had travel craziness, lots of airports not quite knowing what to do with all of these people who are deciding to travel again. Um, pilot strikes, labor yeah. strikes. It was really crazy. We got caught up in that, as I said. Um, inflation everywhere, globally. Everywhere. Everywhere, globally. Climate change, very, very obvious. I feel like it is hot. So hot, with so hot, hot. so hot everywhere, and and dry. Europe was dry. Currently in Denmark, it is raining, thankfully, and will be raining for the next week or so. It seems like, uh, which oh, is, wow. well, which is good because it was definitely very very dry here. Uh, Sri Lanka is has this is now the second monsoon that hasn't materialized in a row. Wow. Uh, we're at one. I believe one eighth the level of rainfall we normally get, and that's hugely problematic, obviously for farmers. But that's especially a problem right now when they're reeling from the currency collapsing and not being able to afford fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And if there's not even water, that's going to be a serious problem for them uh, at the end of this season. So here's hoping the monsoon does shape up and get us some water here. Yeah. But some good news on the climate front is that the U.S. passed some significant climate change legislation. Yes, a huge bill, right? The yep. largest in history, I believe. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's still a lot more we will need to do, but this is uh, one of the few encouraging <laughs> bits of news we get, right? Yeah, exactly. Because also over the summer, 
uh, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, yes. So a civil right was reversed for, I don't, is that the first time in history that it, we've moved backwards instead of forwards? I mean, I guess the end of Reconstruction would be the the, mm. the other time when, when Reconstruction went out and Jim Crow went in. I would put it sort of at that level of, of step back. Um, yeah. I mean, because really we're seeing stories of like a woman is being denied pain medication because she is of childbearing age. Yeah. And, and refused a pregnancy test uh, and so can't get codeine. You know, that's just the tip of the iceberg of, of what this what this can mean, particularly with the kind of almost the cowboy way some of these states are doing it. Mm -hmm. Where like Texas, Texas just gave anyone who wants to sue standing to to civilly sue a doctor who performs an abortion. Well, not just any doctor who performs an abortion, anybody who like has knowledge of one. Oh, right. Or, or like the, the Uber driver to the hospital right. or whatever. Yeah. Right. So that's that's where we are there. Um, yeah. We had the January 6th hearings and there was a raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago because it turns out <laughs> he absconded from the White House with a load of super sensitive classified documents. Can I just say the irony? Right. Right. <laughs> um, and the. What disturbs me most is that 43, I think, of the folders were empty. So where's, uh, where is that stuff, right? Like, where did it go? Because he didn't just collect f empty folders, I don't think. But I guess we will, we will learn more as the investigation goes on, I, I hope. hope. I hope. I hope so, too. Um, there's an energy crisis looming over the next few months that I think everybody is very, very concerned with. That's uh, that's really hitting Europe, right? The cost of, of oil and natural gas. Yes, yes. But I imagine it's probably true for everywhere. Yeah, I mean, everything in Sri Lanka is, I mean, inflation was 300% this year. Yikes. So it's it, oil, oil isn't even the first issue compared to like, you know, wheat. <laughs> because yeah, they, don't well, grow, they don't grow wheat here, but they like bread. So yeah. Well, and I'm sure that the war in Ukraine is affecting mm -hmm. their ability to get wheat to make the bread. Yes. So. Uh, and the other problem is their biggest export market previously had been Russia. So Yikes. Are they uh, in on the sanctions or? Partially um, because it's part of uh, their IMF. They're angling for an IMF deal. And part of that mm. is... Uh, getting in concordance with the world sanctions, um, so they sold a lot of eggs. Uh, they can they can find they do have a market in China. It's mm -hmm. not it's not the end of the world, but it's just it's it's one more disruption uh, for their supply chains yeah. that are fairly disrupted as it is. Yeah. Um, in the past few weeks, there were elections in Sweden and Italy, and in Italy, and the far right has made some huge gains in both of those places, it seems like. That's right. Uh, it's the, the France seems to still be a firewall this year, but a lot of other countries, and I guess Germany went left, um, but Italy and Sweden both. I, I think the woman in Italy is like actually calls herself fascist. It's not even, this isn't some hyperbole. This is, she says, I, I am a fascist. 
So, yeah. <laughs> See, the UK got a new PM. The Queen died. And the oh, pound, right. And the pound crashed. Yeah, the Queen's passing was a big thing here because Sri Lanka is a Commonwealth country. It was interesting because there's a lot of if people were looking to talk about anything other than the country's situation. So there was a lot of discussion about what the Queen's life meant. And, and on the one hand, obviously, Sri Lankans don't like the empire, which she mm. represented. But on the other hand, they do like the Commonwealth, which she also represented. I think she just had a really, she was there, 70 years is a really long time. Right. <laughs> um, and she, if anything, sort of just drew the, the straw that was like the bridging reign, right? Like, right. She began her reign coming out of century and a half of colonialism, two centuries of right. colonialism, but a century and a half of like serious colonialism and empire. <laughs> real stuff, right. And had to find a way to navigate decolonialization, which will arguably take as long right. to accomplish in a responsible and equitable and fair way. And you can argue mm -hmm. that the West and Great Britain have a long way to go towards that equitability and fairness. You, say, it's right. just, you can't just, it is not right to just leave people in dire straits. Just be like, because I, I look at like Afghanistan, right? Mm. And while we, it was, it was time to go. I don't feel right about, I don't feel right about just leaving people without any sort of like monetary compensation or, mm -hmm. I don't know, support. I don't yeah, know. I mean, am I, am I feeling it, wrong about this? Well, then how? I, I mean, it's hard. I don't know that there's a right answer. I mean, obviously I, I would say we should support, we should support the people of Afghanistan, but I mean, any continued presence ultimately is dragging out a war that kills people. Right. You know, so what? What do you do? It's that, yeah, there's not, there's not, it's like so many things in development. There's not a good answer. There's nothing that doesn't harm people. So I, I don't know. Well, I mean, arguably like not getting involved in, I don't know, not getting involved in the first place. Does that ultimately help or harm people? And yeah, I think that's a hard question. So we Afghanistan got 20 years without the Taliban. Was Is that a good thing? Like, I think that's a good thing, right? That there was 20 years where people could live in a relatively free country, um, at least compared to being under the Taliban. But if they just come back as they did, what, what have we done? I mean, but then again, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't take away those 20 years from people. I don't know. It, it's it's not. It, it's all very unsatisfactory and depressing. So. Yeah, agreed. Interesting. It's it's just it, empire and decolonization, and it's just a really complicated mm -hmm. subject, and it's way above my pay grade because I do it, want these places to to live the way that they want to live and have autonomy and freedom to make their own choices, of course, but there's a lot of damage done. And how do you reconcile yeah. that? How do you reconcile that damage? That's my, that's my concern. Yeah. Reconcile, and how do you reconcile that damage without being 
paternalistic <laughs> and right, right. very white European about it. Right. How do you, do you know, does that make any sense? It, it definitely does. Um, is, uh, is Denmark still a monarchy? It is. We also have a, a queen who um, currently, it is actually her mm. 50th year on the throne. Wow. We celebrated this it, year. Uh, is it Beatrix or is that the Netherlands? That's the Netherlands. This is Margaret the second. Okay. Um, she's only the second queen regnant in Danish history. Oh, wow. But I guess Denmark didn't really have much of a colonial empire to speak of, right? They, Not they, since the Viking days. They had some, but it wasn't nearly as pronounced as, you know, other parts of, of Europe. There is a slave monument in Copenhagen, I believe. It's called, you can look it up at IamQueenMary.com. I'll just read it out loud. I am Queen Mary. I am Queen Mary is a transnational public art project created by Levon Bell of the U.S. Virgin Islands and Jeanette Ellers of Denmark, two artists connected by their shared Caribbean roots and colonial histories. Together, they created the first collaborative sculpture to memorialize Denmark's colonial impact in the Caribbean and those who fought against it. This monumental work debuted in March 2018 in front of the West Indian Warehouse in Copenhagen to mem uh, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the sale and transfer of the Danish West Indies, now the U.S. Virgin Islands, to the United States. I had no idea. That's fascinating. Uh, we will put this in the in the notes. But the I am Queen Mary. So they they do have a footprint in the Caribbean and in India. Apparently, the map is telling me they had two settlements. That's interesting. And the Dutch, of course, used to run Sri Lanka. So yeah, right. <laughs> So did I miss anything, Weldon? Uh, any other? Well, um, <laughs> that seems pretty comprehensive. Uh, I, it's hard to believe we fit all that into like two months, but <laughs> there it is. Well, it's almost four months now. Oh, that's, that's true. <laughs> Time is such a weird and crazy thing lately. <laughs> so looking ahead, we have a really, really big election coming up in a little over a month in the U.S. That is true. The midterm elections. Do you have any forecasts, thoughts, feelings? Are you registered to vote, Weldon? I'm registered to vote, and I have sent for my absentee ballot. Uh, it has not arrived yet, but they are normally pretty good about getting it out there. Um, I don't have any forecasts. I Actually, I think it's going to be... So I guess this is a forecast. I think it's going to probably be about a wash. Like, I don't think it's going to be... A huge change in either chamber, if I had to predict. I have one question for you. Sure. How do you think that the Georgia senatorial election is going to play out? I believe Warnock will win. I think a lot of people say they support Walker for partisan reasons, but ultimately will not pull that lever. Uh, he's just too, he's a candidate with far too many issues, I think. And it's it's going to it's going to ultimately depress turnout on the Republican side is the result. I think that's my guess uh, from from your lips to the almighty's <laughs> ears. Um, yeah, I, I hope so, because U.S. politics right now is just such a mess, like even it's, more than normal, I feel like. Yeah, it's and it's so like there's this franticness and and just everyone's on edge and tense. And I know we were always like this, but I remember 20 years ago, 25, like 
we were fighting about whether the top tax rate should be 35 or 40 percent. And now we're sort of disagreeing over whether objective reality is a thing. Like that's that's sort of what what we're disagreeing about now. I'm looking forward to the election being over. I hope that we maintain both chambers. Mm -hmm. But I also know that as soon as the election is over, we launch right back into the presidential general election. Yeah, we do. (laughs) There used to be a meeting space. Yeah. No, it is a perpetual a perpetual Mm. election loop. And I know I've said it before. I will say it again. I will keep beating this drum. I honestly think it is damaging our society. I think it is not healthy for us to be locked in these battles all the time. It does not give us space to, it doesn't, it just doesn't give us space to like be team, be team American and not team Democrat or Republican. I, I agree. And I think the previous president, I think, is a is a very good example of this. It's a system that rewards saying the most outrageous thing possible. He was the master of that, but certainly on our side, there's some of that too. And I'm not normally a both sides person, but there is like when you look on Twitter, when you look on Facebook, you know, this sense of if I say the most outrageous thing possible, that's gonna drive the discussion and and it's going to get attention. And I like you said, I don't think it's healthy. I think we need, I don't know. The UK manages to have, what, a 60-day campaign for prime minister. And they find that far too long and they can't wait till it's over. And I just, I want to pat them on the head and say, okay, because we have two-year presidential campaigns now. I don't know it's that it's survivable. It's certainly not sustainable. People do one of two things, I think. One, they either become super hyper-partisan. Mm-hmm. Or they just check out of the process entirely. Right. And and neither of those are great, right? Like nope. those are both like checking out, I think is worse, but, but they're not, neither is good. No. You know? Well, I think, I think it's, it's really bad. I actually have a, I have a theory. <laughs> I will run this by you. And sure. Um, so I, I've lived in two constitutional monarchies now, and I lived in a, a republic in Germany, which has a head of state is not the same as the head of government. Right. They have a ceremonial president, right? And then a chancellor that that is like a PM in a yes, parliament exactly. system. Yeah. Yeah. And the president does largely like what I would call first lady things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, ribbon cuttings. And, ribbon and, cuttings, and, charities. Yeah, state dinners, right. You know, things that are projects that bring attention to something else. That's the function of the head of state. And if we stop and think about it like that, like the first lady is the head of state. <laughs> she like does all of that stuff. That is a great analogy. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> but the president is the head of government and the PM is the head of government. So like the first lady is like the queen or the president, the queen in Denmark or the UK, or the president in Germany. And mm-hmm. the president is like the PM of Denmark or the UK and the chancellor of Germany. I think that part of the reason we are so polarized in the United States is that our head of state and our head of government is the same person. Mm-hmm. Because in countries where they're separate, what I've noticed is, well, in Germany, I, don't, I had to look up who the president of Germany was. I don't even know. Right. <laughs> I right. don't even know who that guy is. <laughs> but he lives in like a palace 
And Mm -hmm. that's where all of the fancy dinners take place. Like Angela Merkel lived in a flat. Right. Like she didn't move into like a White House or Mm -hmm. a president or the the Elysee Palace, the Elysee, right? The Elysee, right. The Elysee in France. She didn't move into it. She stayed in her apartment and that's where she did her work she lived there she went to the supermarket like that was that was yeah i mean people with oh look angela merkel's the photos of her like with her (laughs) shopping cart of stuff you get to see what she was eating uh you can find Mm -hmm. them online i'm sure like social media being what it is but you know the the monarchy in both denmark and in the uk despite what people who would like to get rid of the monarchy say enjoys like 60 plus points approval ratings yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I know what is it? Is it Denmark or Netherlands where the like the monarch bikes in in Copenhagen? The, the crown prince and princess uh, bike. Um, Margaret, like I said, Margaret's in her eighties, so right, um, probably, probably not hers, but yeah. yeah. But but she's so badass because she designs costumes <laughs> for theater. Like, oh wow, that is like her side gig. <laughs> <laughs> she designs costumes for theater and ballet in Copenhagen. And so she's just very artistic and she has this other thing that she does. I feel like countries who have had heads of state who are apolitical, whether mm-hmm. that's an elected head of state or a hereditary head of state, I feel like the societies have a rallying point and can be cohesive and they can be mad at their PM because mm-hmm. or their chancellor. And they can just vote that person out of office right. the next time around because their head of state doesn't say anything politically, really. Right. They're just there. And I know that people are like, it's anti-democratic and monarchies are anti-democratic and who needs all that wealth? And I, yeah, OK, I agree with, you know, extreme hereditary wealth mm-hmm. is it's not a great thing. But if we if we were to move to a system, if we were designing a system. where you had a democracy, I think your head of state would have to be there for a really long time. Yeah, I mean, or there's also the, like you mentioned, the symbolic president, like India or Germany or Israel or Mm. uh, where it's, I think their equivalent of the Senate just elects some dude or or woman who, who does that functional stuff for four years. Yeah, but I don't feel like they really... Because they're only there for four years. They're not a rallying point for the country in times of conflict or stress or COVID or a war, Mm -hmm. right? They're not a they're not like a rallying figure. They're not something that people can come behind. I cannot imagine anyone in the United States, like literally anyone in the United States, getting a 60 plus approval rating. Right. Right. No, that's um that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like not not any celebrity, not a public figure, zero mm. people in the United States because we are so polarized on all fronts now. And polarized and everything becomes a code for the ideological split, right? Yeah. Like athletics used to be kind of neutral. Like maybe we would, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy who just hit 700 home runs. Uh, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Somebody just, just hit his career 700th home run. I don't read sports Twitter, but I'm sure it's become a fight over something. Uh, so, yes, you would probably have a 60 percent approval rating and that's it. Like he's not going to get above that. Which I find 
terror. I found terrifying. We can't agree yeah. on one one person or figure in the United States that we're all pretty much like, yeah, they're just a good person, and I like them. Right. I can't think of anybody that you wouldn't get at least forty people who would say who said no. They're no, I don't like them. Forty well, percent. I am like it gets down to there. I'm sure. I'll admit that my opinions are influenced by others, and if I see people I don't like approving of something, I'll probably assume it's bad. You know, right. and, and I think the fact that I can recognize it doesn't mean I've escaped it. Right? Like right. I still do that, and I, I think a lot of that happens, and people get angry at oh, I don't know, a mermaid just because other people like it. You know, but grown men complaining about a fish woman. I it, it this is where we are because. We can't stop disagreeing with each other over stupid crap. Yes, exactly. And I and I feel like, you know, I That's watch. A da- this is a Danish story, isn't it? It is a Danish story. Hans Christian yeah. Andersen. Yes, it is. Sort of poignantly enough, it's a metaphor about Hans Christian Andersen's sexuality. He is. Like, oh, right. Yeah. And he, he was in love with a man and. The feelings were not reciprocated. We're not mutual, right? Uh, or at least not romantically um, mutual. And his sort of despair at that. Then he wrote Little Mermaid. Mm. But yeah, I was just looking at the, I watched the funeral mm-hmm. uh, last last Monday. How was that a week ago? Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched I watched the funeral last Monday and just... The scale of it, the pageantry mm-hmm. of it, the historicalness of it, and the people who came out, billions of people was, around the world watched it. I cannot imagine, mm-hmm. like... Wasn't there a queue, a queue in London that took, like, three days to get through or something? Yes. I don't, it was like a 24... Yeah. It was like you had to be there for 24 hours. You couldn't get out of line. You couldn't... <laughs> yeah. And and I just can't think of any anybody in, in in our country that would command that kind of respect. And so when I say, you know, you kind of need somebody who can be there over the course of over the course of many, many political heads of government to right. sort of maintain the cohesion and the comfort of knowing that they're always there. I think you can elect that person. I don't think it has to be a hereditary. I don't think it has to be a hereditary mm-hmm. office. But I do think whoever is in that role as head of state needs to be apolitical, needs to be there mm-hmm. over a long period of time so that you can get to that comfort point. Because well, I guess uh, uh, the former queen, what, she went from, from Winston Churchill all the way down. I mean, to some of the some of the prime ministers she had, like Churchill and Heath and Wilson, and to, 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 <laughs> to end on... Johnson trust. and Trust. Like, I know. I'm so sorry, Liz. Yeah, right. So sorry, Liz. But well, I look at it this way. It was her last PM, but it's King King Charles the Third's first PM. That's so, true. Um, yeah. I don't know. Just yeah. something something I've been thinking about lately, and and how how we could maybe structure. I remember I had a test question on a political science exam mm-hmm. once that was like design design your ideal government describe oh, wow. it to me <laughs> and yeah i think i would i would include some sort of like long-term apolitical head of state in that equation now 
I think we, I think you need it. A, a British friend of mine has said, I think this is at least worth considering, though I'm not fully sold, that a, a monarchy is fundamentally irrational, and that's why it works. And that that human human beings are have a fundamentally irrational part to us, and mm. a monarchy speaks to that in the way that a that a completely smaller Republican government just can't. Partially, but I also think that I think people like theater, whether they admit mm -hmm. to it or not. I think they like the theater of monarchy that monarchy provides. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, again, you don't have to have a hereditary monarchy to do this. I watched the correspondence dinner when they were doing it. I like to see the pretty dresses and the people there. Mm -hmm. And I watched, I watched the the comedy routines and I thought it was great when you have state dinners. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda introduced Hamilton at a state I, dinner. I, I saw the video. It was, I, that it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. You, you get to have these moments even in republics where you get to have this, this theater, this, and I think right. that, I think that that is also a part of being a head of state is the theater of presenting the country. So I, yeah, like I said, if I were designing, I would, I would definitely include an apolitical long-term head of state, whether you wanted to make that a hereditary monarchy or you wanted to like vote, vote a new person in every 20, 25 years or so. But right. I, I would think you would have to like make it so that like, look, if you want to be our head of state for this super awesome job where you basically mm -hmm. just go out and promote the country and are like, go to like, I don't know, hospital openings and or, you know, go to like uh, disaster state, dinner. er state yeah. dinners and go to disaster zones and like comfort people. Or if you want to do that, then you can have no political ties whatsoever and you whatsoever. can't express your opinion the entire time yeah or before even even before i don't think that you you have to like make that decision at a very early age to say <laughs> i'm not going to be political yeah i'm now, going the, to hold the line the sad thought is that that's how we used to look at federal judges and supreme court judges right that they were Neutral, apolitical, lifelong appointments who were only judged on the quality of their legal scholarship. Well, that's uh, gone right out the window. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I Sadly. mean, oh, the halcyon days of nonpartisan. I mean, I don't know. Has that ever been the case? Probably not. But I, I remember it. I, no, it's probably never been the case. Uh, you're right. But that, but, <laughs> but that is the myth that we are sold on. That's the right. myth of the federal judiciary. Which now lies tattered in, in smoldering ruins. And I wish they would just admit that. I wish yeah. that they would just admit that it's lies, lies, damn lies. <laughs> yeah. I think there would have been a time when I would be against some of the court reform arguments we're hearing because they are kind of nakedly political. But at this point... So is the court. So, I mean, you have to fight fire with fire. And if we want to expand the bench, yes, that's a brazen political act. And so is the court, right, at this point. Well, I think maybe we were naive to think that the court wasn't a political tool. I mean, it's a point. It's essentially appointed by the two least democratic parts of our government. Right. That's true. 
On the other hand, I don't like, I mean, Mississippi has elected judges and that creeps me out. I don't. A lot of, a lot of states have elected judges. Yeah. Which, you know, elections are. A double-edged sword, right? (laughs) Elections are, they're popularity contests at the end of the day, right? You hope that the most popular person is also the most competent person, but that's not necessarily the case. Democracy is a weird bag. And when you do it right, it's fantastic. Mm. But when you do it wrong, it's a hotness. Yeah, it's the worst form of government except for everything else we've ever tried, right? Everything (laughs) else. Do you get the sense that a lot of people are so perhaps fed up with democracy that they are leaning more towards benevolent dictator? I'm afraid that's true. I think that's what we're seeing like in Italy and Sweden is this idea that – Democracy doesn't can't solve problems. It's too complicated. There's too many moving parts and it moves too slowly. So we just need, you know, a strong political figure who will bend the legislature to their will or whatever. And I I don't know. It's I I think that is the instinct. I think we see it time and time again in history. And it's just sort of something you have to weather if possible, because the other side of that is it never works. Right. The autocrats have never really built a system that can last beyond that particular autocrat that I know of, maybe maybe in North Korea, but other than that. Well, just, yeah, that's just hereditary right. autocracy. <laughs> yeah, dressed up as something it definitely is not, um, which is a republic. Right. right. <laughs> so uh, I would say that uh, we've got a lot to talk about over the next we couple do. of weeks and months and years because Americans, <laughs> both inside and outside, are... are I have a feeling that everybody feels a little bit like an American on the outside, even the ones on the inside. You're probably right. But yeah, hopefully we can get some (laughs) interviews coming this fall for our audience and uh, some more discussion. Yes, indeed. Thanks for talking with me today, Weldon. It's always a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of American on the Outside. We'll see you next time.